Hi, everyone. You're here with the second season of Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here as always with my co-host, Liza and Casey. Hello, everyone. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Derek Manouche. He's the co-founder and CEO of Coral. So thank you so much for joining us today, Derek. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So to start us off, what is Coral? Coral provides revenue sharing financing to startups. So it's a little bit different from your traditional debt or equity financing. So if you go to a bank and you get a bank loan, it's going to be a certain period of time over which you have to pay it and there's monthly interest payments. But for a startup, that's not always ideal because sometimes you have months or even seasons where you have not a lot of cash flow. And so for period for seasonal businesses or, or businesses that have uh, quite volatile cash flows, that's always not the best option to take on. And then from the equity side of the equation, uh, venture capital financing is really only available to a small subset of all startups out there, uh, roughly 1% to 2%. And uh, depending on the type of business that you operate, it may not fit the equity profile that well. So for example, um, quote-unquote lifestyle businesses or e-commerce businesses uh, that don't have a high amount of scalability to their business model um, may not uh, be able to attract equity financing. And so Coral uh, provides a different type of product, which is revenue sharing, meaning that we will provide an investment into a startup in exchange for 1% to 10% of the business's top-line revenue. Uh, the business has the option to buy out that investment at any point in time in the future at a small multiple to the investment amount. So it actually turns out being cheaper than uh, equity, but it's also more flexible than debt. Because if you don't make money in a given month, then you don't have to make any sharing payments. Uh, so we felt it was, a, it was a good model for early stage companies that are looking to access growth capital. Uh, and more importantly, wanted to do it in a way which is a little bit different from the industry. So we actually have built out a platform that allows businesses to apply for financing in under 10 minutes. Uh, so we'll connect to their banking account transactions and accounting transactions. And then we'll use that to make our analysis. So it's very data driven. Uh, it's similar to what people would call capital as a service. So it's very objective. Uh, unbiased way of allocating and making the investment decisions. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Um, it seems like it's it's really nice, and it, the, you offer a lot of flexibility for for uh, uh, startups in terms of their payments, which is really important because it's it's you never know how it's going to work out. What what made you come up with this idea, and and how do you kind of make sure that at the end of the day, this is a profitable venture for you as well? Yeah, so. so uh, the origin story of Coral uh, goes back a couple of years. So prior to myself starting the company, I was at Scotiabank, which obviously is, you know, the Canadian listeners will know, a top five bank in Canada has large international presence. Uh, what we did there is focused on credit risk model validation. So basically the whole idea behind a bank is that they, they want to get more money back than what they lend out. And so in order to make sure that they are comfortable with, with those economic decisions, uh, they have to run a, a suite of different models that assess the risk of a borrower, that assess how much capital they should give out. Uh, it scores them and monitors them over time. And so uh, our team in Scotiabank was the one that was focused on uh, making those models 
work effectively. And so uh, it was everything from when you apply for a credit card all the way up to a large corporate debt deal. Um, so wide range of different products, wide range of different borrowers. And that's where I kind of got hooked on to credit risk and how I discovered there's, there's maybe more options than what a bank is just offering. And so I went across the street, uh, Bay Street in Toronto to KPMG, where I helped lead the quant team there in financial risk management. Uh, there is where I got to open up the portfolios of dozens of different financial institutions. Uh, so not only your top five banks, but your credit unions, uh, your alternative financers, even large quasi or crown corporations, which are um, some of the largest lenders in the country. And from there, I was able to see that, okay, so it's not just the banks that are having this issue. Uh, most of the institutions are what you would classify as asset-backed lenders, meaning that you need some form of collateral or asset in order to access the debt. And so that, to me, was a bit of an issue because when you synthesize a business down into its core financial components, you have your income statement, you have your balance sheet, and you have your cash flow statement. Now, if you know 90 plus percent of the debt lenders out there are focused on the balance sheet, then what about the income side of the equation? And for companies that exist, what I would call within the digital economy, which are uh, companies that make virtually all of their revenue online or have some type of software recurring revenue automated process that they can repeat, um, that's about 30% of the market today. So every new startup that begins, or every new small business that begins, has some type of technology or online uh, type of business or revenue stream. Uh, and they're missing out on that entire marketplace. And so I felt that this was an opportunity to uh, satisfy the needs of the market um, and also come up with something that's a little bit different from what traditional finance has been focused on uh, to that date, which was debt. Um, and also found a way that you could improve it in such that you can close off some of the biases that exist in the market. So as you both probably know, 20, 2019 and 2018, less than 3% of venture capital financing went to women-led businesses. And it was not necessarily because, uh, you know, the business was flawed in any way. That, that's a market-wide statistic. Uh, and it comes down to certain cognitive biases uh, when it comes to the decision-making of VC firms. And we wanted to build a model where we weren't susceptible to those same, same biases. And in fact, we were making decisions on the basis of the information that was presented, regardless of, of what the, the founding team looks like. Uh, and That's so, really great. Yeah. And so we, we felt that, you know, combining that data-driven approach with the new financing product was a great way to kind of go out in the market. Definitely. And how did you go at actually building um, this software that allows you to make these unbiased decisions? So I'm, I'm a bit of a quant. So I've got two math degrees and uh, spent a fair amount of time you know, behind a computer screen in my life. So uh, when it comes to actually determining you know, what data sources to procure, uh, what models to, to build, a lot, a lot of that came from, I guess, my own experience. Mm-hmm. And so I built a team around myself and, and started getting to work. Uh, and, and we built everything over the course of a, a couple of years. Uh, we launched the platform June of 2018. I've been working with capital providers since then to be able to administer capital. And then more recently uh, in 2020, 
we started to uh, invest off our own balance sheet. So now not using other people's funds, but using our own. Oh, that's very cool. That's yeah. exciting. That's really cool. And uh, it, it's really awesome to know that uh, you're actually a, an expert in the AI uh, space, I would say. Um, where, where do you kind of see AI and finance merging more so in the future? It's currently, it, they're very intertwined, a lot of analytics decisions, but do you see it that changing in the future or, or there being more roles for AI and finance? Yeah, I, I do. And, uh, you know, about 10, I still don't really call it AI, about 10 years ago when I started getting involved in, uh, I guess it would be mathematics and statistics. Um, I would consider almost AI as a, a, a subset of um, uh, statistics in that sense. And so yeah. back in the day, we were doing something called evolutionary uh, computation or you know genetic yeah. modeling, where you try and emulate biological processes using statistical or mathematical methods and use that as a way of making inferences about the world around you. And so the whole analytical or predictive forecasting uh, approach to machine learning and AI, I think, is what has been quite topical nowadays, and it is quite prevalent. And when it comes to our own investment decision making, we leverage some of the technologies that are out there and some of the modeling methodologies in order to better make informed decisions at Coral. However, the scope of AI and machine learning is, I think, a lot broader than that. I see it having uh, more implications uh, not only from the analytical side of making decisions, uh, but also from a governance standpoint. Um, I, there's certain, well, not call them trivial decisions, but um, simple, repeatable uh, decisions where you can apply a, a rule or some type of logic around it, whereby what you can do is have a system or computer automate many of those you know, types of decisions as opposed to having humans involved. I see it as a way of a, having humans get freed up more for creativity and and the use of the core processing unit of of our brains as opposed to having it so focused on uh, these low energy type of decisions in the future and that could mm -hmm. mean everything from uh, you know making governance decisions when it comes to shareholders voting on some type of event you know perhaps uh, an AI bot can can proxy your share votes for you you know, at, a, at an annual shareholder meeting um, based on your own preferences without you having to be present or know fully the uh, problem set or the uh, topics that you have to vote on. Um, and it could be to, you know, just management roles in particular. You know, think about if you're managing a development team or an engineering team in JIRA. Let's say, you know, you have to do the prioritization of the ticketing. Um, you have to make sure you allocate certain time for certain developers. You have to organize your sprints on a weekly basis. So a lot of that medial work, I think, can be automated out of, from a system as long as you can define the logic and the underlying real set appropriately. That'd be great to have Jira organized mm -hmm. by yeah. an AI. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And um, have you noticed uh, during COVID any changes in the types of companies that are applying for funding right now? And what type of companies are often going for this revenue sharing model? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So there's definitely more companies that are applying for financing now. And I, I think that's a function of a couple of things. Uh, one being venture capital um, has done a bit of firefighting recently within their own portfolios. So they're basically saying, hey, if I have 10 companies that I invested in, 
I know that three of them are not going to make it out of this. I know three that you know may be zombie companies, and then you know perhaps there's four that I need to provide more capital in to get them over this hump. So um, a lot of companies, uh, rather VC firms, are doing um, we'll call it uh, you know managing their existing book as opposed to actively seeking new investments. And that gives us, you know, further opportunity to be able to attract those types of businesses that may currently be neglected by the existing funding pool. Um, and then when you look at credit markets, banks have started to tighten up. Um, obviously, there's certain funds that are coming from the government level that is providing really cheap capital, but the sorry, the volume of that capital is still quite low. Like you're, you're not looking at getting millions of dollars from the you know, government backed loan through a bank. And so, uh, especially for small businesses. And so we, we felt that, you know, given the way that we're positioned in the market, um, it'd be a great opportunity to, to go out and get way more applications and see what we can do for these businesses. So we've seen an uptick of at least 20% in our, in our volume uh, coming through the platform. We've also seen uh, more focus on companies that are doing uh, SaaS and e-commerce um, as opposed to just general service businesses. Sometimes uh, we, we get companies that are, quote unquote, not from the digital economy, and we don't generally invest in those as much because they're, they're less scalable. There's a less of a digital presence to them. There's less of an uh, automated uh, model underneath the business. There's less of recurring revenue. They don't offer evergreen services. So um, it's really the type of businesses that we're going after are these scalable online e-commerce and SaaS businesses. What I would state is that 30 to 60% on average has been the revenue declines that we've been seeing month over month. So the quality of the businesses has actually decreased, but that makes sense given the market. What's interesting within that is that we see somewhat of a bifurcation. Uh, there's companies that offer health uh, fitness products and non-discretionary uh, consumer products. So you know, maybe it's food supplements or vitamins or, or items that, you know, you still have to live on, even if you're spending 90 plus percent of your time within a 400 square foot condo. So mm -hmm. these are the types of companies that we see excelling right now. And in many cases, we're looking at multiples on revenue on, on top of what they were making a few months or quarters ago. So while it's not great for most businesses out there, there is a small subset of the market that is doing really well. That's good to hear. It's always good to hear that um, the businesses are succeeding. Yeah. And uh, so I, I really love how you use uh, ML models uh, or some form of AI or statistics to, to decide who kind of gets uh, this financing. But ML uh, can, can be biased as well. Um, how do you make sure that the data you use to train it gets rid of any biases and, and it just the, the model is bias free overall? Yeah, so there's certain methods that you can employ which um, that help eliminate the bias or like shift your mean such that you can uh, center yourself on your distribution. Um, so we use we employ techniques like that, but I'll, I'd also say that given the methodology that we've designed at Coral, uh, we tend to focus less on calibrated models. So we have a suite of models that actually get used when it comes to decision making. Um, and a very small subset of those are actually calibrated or trained on an existing data set. So that's it's if, to the listener. You'll you'll sound as if well, that's that's strange. Like, 
why would you you know rely on an unsupervised type of approach more than supervised and my argument would be well it's a semi-supervised machine learning approach um, and we have designed it such that what we're trying to do is identify good anomalies and bad anomalies within the data sets so things that are strange um, but strange for, for the better or the worse and then from there we use those as inputs into our, our risk and return engine in order to uh, evaluate where it lies within the point cloud or multi-dimensional space of what is right and what is wrong um, and so it's it's a bit of a different approach than what you would typically see which is hey here's a lot of variables we go and, and calibrate our variables or train them on uh, our, our model and you know hope that the output um, is highly predictive um, of whatever target variable we're trying to predict. So somewhat of a different way of approaching the problem, but we feel that that's one way of eliminating a lot of the biases by just training on a historical data set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Cool. And um, could you talk a bit about building up your advisory board and your team in the early days and how it's grown? Yeah, so early on, I would say that uh, we suffered from a mistake of let's just try and get as many advisors as possible that have really credible backgrounds and experiences and focus less on the individual themselves. And so the advisory board has gone through uh, significant evolution over time. Um, however, I can state today that you know I'm very happy with the people that we um, ended up working with. Uh, we, the way that we designed it was I, I put together a skills matrix. Um, so I looked at the existing team, the founding team, and I had everyone fill out uh, on a point-based scale. Out of, for example, 40 points, here's uh, 20 different types of uh, skills. Um, mark off a number next to that skill uh, and make sure you don't go over 40. And so by doing that type of exercise, um, I could understand a little bit better on how my team uh, felt that their strengths and weaknesses were. And then also where the gaps were. And then from there, what we did is we built out um, different uh, verticals. So let's say there was a capital markets vertical or revenue sharing or, or royalty financing vertical. Um, you know, some that had uh, network effects in the fintech space or in the startup or VC ecosystem. Um, that was another gap for us. And so within each one of those verticals, I uh, did a bit of an exercise within our existing networks, searching through LinkedIn. Um, and then also just you know, thinking about who we may want to approach as independent, non-known uh, third parties in order to be able to bring them on. Um, and so we did that. We were able to procure a couple of high-profile individuals. Um, and, uh, you know, I, we would not be where we are today um, without a few of them. Uh, so I, I think if you are a startup that's looking to organize a board for the first time, it's really helpful to spend some time with that individual before signing any contracts and seeing what type of value that they can add to you within your own organization with before pulling the trigger. Because um, a lot of people will just sign a contract and then they're they're too busy to, to really help you. And you want someone that's going to be able to put in the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really great. That's really good advice on very, how to yeah, do it. Very meticulous. That's, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> so for, for my last question, can you tell me something about yourself that's not on your LinkedIn page? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I've, I've always been somewhat entrepreneurial. Uh, when I was 13, I started buying and selling bike parts out of my garage on, off of one of the largest 
biking websites in the world at that time might still be pinkbike.com. Uh, and I worked my way up to being uh, a moderator of their forums. I was basically obsessed with bikes. Uh, and uh, I ended up getting a few bikes as a result of the profits from that venture. Um, and then ever since then, I've always kind of understood that business was something that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, so I progressively throughout my career just had these little side hustles. Uh, and I don't really showcase them at all on my LinkedIn page or even when people talk to me about it. But uh, I guess it goes to show um, my, my keen interest in business, not just around solving problems, but solving problems with an economic value proposition. Yeah, that's really great. It's always fun to hear like where people started in entrepreneurship. <laughs> Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Derek. It was really great getting to speak with you and learn more about Coral. Um, if you're a startup, of course, you go to Coral.io um, if you're interested in the revenue sharing model and applying uh, for some financing. That's great. Thank you both. Thank you for tuning in to Floater Founder every week. We look forward to bringing you more content from more amazing people in our city. Until next time.